This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to Lake Kickers Live. It is Tuesday night, January 11th, the year of our Lord, 2022, jam-packed high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee, Right home from Indianapolis, where 24 hours ago we witnessed history. We witnessed the Georgia Bulldogs secure their first national championship in multiple generations, depending on how you define a generation. Obviously, we've got full wall-to-wall reaction. Haven't been to sleep yet, so I've got my eyelids duct taped to my forehead, but we wouldn't miss this one for the world. Georgia native right here. And so I feel uniquely qualified to talk about this. The iJosh has blown up. I've got, as we speak... 119 unanswered text messages, which may be irresponsible, but we had a show to focus on, so I'll get to that later tonight. Uh, It is a very, very celebratory day in Georgia. We are going to talk from every angle about this national championship win. We will also talk about it from the Alabama angle. A lot of transfer portal entries today, including guys that you saw start the game last night. So there's a lot of transition happening there. We'll talk about that secondary. If you win the game, you lead the show. We're going to talk about Georgia in just a second. Also, now that the 2022 season or 2021 season has a bow on it, we're going to talk about it in totality just a little bit. We're not going to dive fully into it. We're going to do that in the next couple of shows. But the Renaissance season is now a wrap. What a Renaissance season it was. I asked on Twitter a little while ago, is this the best season that you can remember? Some of you said, well, from my personal fan point of view, no, because my team didn't do good. But pretend like you're agnostic. You don't have a specific team you pull for. You're just watching the season this year. Guys, even if you say it's not, it has to be way up there. I mean, we reestablished a lot of stuff in this sport this year that certainly was solely lacking in 2020, but I thought had been lacking maybe just a little bit even before that. Great, great experiences. We were on the road 16 weeks plus early signing day this year, and it's been really fun. And, of course, it culminated last night with, again, history. We saw red and black confetti rain down from the ceiling in Indianapolis. And before we start the show tonight, boy, what a show we have. Thank you for being tuned in. The city of Indianapolis deserves a lot of credit. A lot of you went to the game, and you experienced a lot of frigid conditions. And Indianapolis, I'll be blunt with you, even from my own point of view, had an uphill battle in hosting this championship game. Just a lot of people didn't expect that Indianapolis was going to be the kind of host city that could match what Miami does or New Orleans does or Pasadena does. From what they could control, I think they did an A++++ jam-up job. Uh, That city, other cities could take a lesson from in terms of infrastructure and in terms of the the way that they manage a major event. Now, they've had the Combine there forever. They've had a Super Bowl. So they're no strangers to this, but they never had a national championship game. Everyone went up there thinking that because the forecast was cold, their entire experience was going to be ruined. It was anything but that. So I could not speak any more glowingly of the way that we were treated and the experience that we had in Indianapolis. And that's from someone who was very jaded going into it. I talked to some of the officials, talked to a couple of people directly associated with the game and the city of Indianapolis last night on the field afterwards and made sure to express that. So if you don't hear it from anyone else, you guys get a double tip of the cap from me and I don't even wear caps. So let's dive into this thing. And I wanna remind you, and I'll remind you again before the end of the show, we're entering a dangerous time now, not in the show, but we're entering a dangerous time. It's where there's gonna be a lot of casual energy in the room. You need to be careful. The casual energy is gonna start to speak that word that is beyond curse word here. And that is off season. They're gonna start to tell you we've entered that. We haven't, we don't recognize that here, but some other people are gonna try and recognize it. So don't fault them. They can live their lives the way they want to, but we live a different lifestyle around here and we live it all year long. And that's why we really will not speak that nasty O word on this show. Oh boy, okay, I've waited a long time to do this segment. So let's dive into it. 
Georgia beats Alabama. The Georgia Bulldogs are the national champions of college football. 33 to 18, the final score last night. I was on the field for this. It was an experience I'll certainly never forget. I really wish you guys could have had the vantage point that I have, unless you're a Bama fan. If you're a Georgia fan or just anyone else watching, I really wish you could have had the vantage point I had to be able to turn around and just look at the entire spectrum of emotion pouring out of people, both young and old. You had tears of joy. You had, well, you had tears of all kind. You had so many different emotions pouring out of people, especially later in the game. So I'll get to that in just a second. But here's where I wanted to start. I was driving home last night. <laughs> yeah, by the way. I decided to drive home last night. I did my last post-game hit on the field at 1.48 a.m. I was in bed in Nashville at 5.45 a.m. Did not go to sleep because I had radio hits to do, so I haven't been to sleep yet, but had so much adrenaline after the game, just decided, whatever, I'm just going to go home. So I got home last night. I was not stuck on the road with the rest of you today. But here's what I was thinking about as I was driving home last night. Somewhere out there, between Dalton and Waycross, Georgia, there was some 13-year-old kid last night, and he was looking at his TV, and he was saying, oh, finally. And to that kid, I want to be respectful, but I want to say, hush, and move to the side for just a second. Because again, with all due respect, this is not about you. This is about the much older gentleman or lady from your state who was old enough to vote in the 2000 election but cannot recall the last Georgia National Championship. There are some folks out there, I kid you not, who are old enough to remember watching the Challenger explosion on TV who do not remember and were not alive for the last Georgia National Championship. Last night when I was watching this go down from field level and then I turned and cast my gaze across that sea of humanity behind me, those were the people that were the most affected, especially by that Keely Ringo pick six, when what had been a possibility for decades turned into a reality, it turned into a certainty, you're gonna win the national championship. So much emotion, incredible amounts of emotion. I've watched championships be won, but rarely do you watch one, get one where the fan base has been so close so many times, in often cases against the same team, and they finally get it done. It was a sight to behold. Keep in mind, as recently as late November of last year, these are people, my home people, my home state. These are folks who legitimately believed the entire state was cursed from a sporting standpoint. And then the Braves won the World Series, and then the Georgia Bulldogs won a national championship a couple of months later, and it's got that Boston early 2000s kind of feel to it. Forget about the Falcons for a second, just insert Georgia for the Falcons. You got the Red Sox, and you got the Patriots, and all of a sudden they're just knocking down all of these fabled curses kind of happening in Georgia right now. Now, they did it in the plural in New England. Right now it's merely singular in the state of Georgia. We'll see what happens there. So many important things went down last night. Let's unpack this. First and foremost, the most important thing is Georgia won a national championship, and then you follow closely behind that with also, Georgia finally beat Alabama. Kirby Smart finally beat Nick Saban. Georgia finally overcame Nick Saban. But here's to me the most important part, and I was thinking about this on my drive home, we don't have to ever find out what was down the other road. If you'll remember leading up to this on this program, we talked about how I viewed this as a very much crossroads moment for the program that Kirby Smart's running at Georgia. And it was eerily similar to me to the crossroads that Mark Rick's Georgia program arrived at in 2012. SEC championship against the same Alabama team. It's funny how you keep running up against the same team in this conference. And Georgia came so close. And they almost punched a ticket to what would almost certainly be a national championship win over Notre Dame. They fell about eight or nine yards short, fell maybe one play short. They never got back again. And I know going into last night that you couldn't look at Kirby and Georgia and say, this is it, this is their last chance. No one would be that ignorant, I don't think. I certainly wasn't that ignorant, but I was of the mindset that you don't know how many more opportunities you're gonna get and you don't know if you'll ever have a better opportunity than this. What would keep you up at night for years and years and years is if you couldn't mount a fourth quarter comeback. If you did turn it over on downs, if you did make the critical mistakes you've made before, and all of a sudden you're left wondering, what if? Alabama had all these injuries. Alabama is so young. We had a prime opportunity and we let it slip through our hands. Forget all that, because that's not a road we ever had to go down. You don't ever have to find out, if you're a Georgia fan, what was down that road. Because everything they couldn't do once upon a time, they found a way to do last night. 
overcame a lot of adversity. I was watching the replay, some of it, at least of this game out in the newsroom before we started the show. It's hard to remember because the second half kind of feels like a blur. This thing was nine to six with under four minutes to go in the third quarter. And it ends up 33 to 18. And wow, all of a sudden, what used to be territory that Alabama owned in this matchup, that of course being the fourth quarter, becomes Georgia's. How about the stat here? It's my second padlock stat, but I'll go ahead and present it first. 20 to nine, that's how Georgia outscored Alabama in the fourth quarter. The previous four times these teams had played, Alabama 41 to seven had outscored Georgia. So the first thing they did is they took ownership of the fourth quarter, but you remember in the weeks leading up to this thing and the weeks following the SEC championship game, this was all about yards per carry for Georgia. I never once beat the Stetson Bennett drum. I never talked about JT Daniels in any kind of serious manner. What I did say is I said, yeah, Georgia can win a title with Stetson Bennett, but it's all conditional. It's conditional on what you can do on the ground. And that's where this game was totally a tale of two halves. I texted a buddy after the first quarter had ended last night and Alabama hadn't pulled away in the game by any stretch, but they had really settled in defensively. I texted the buddy and said, this feels like the fifth quarter of the SEC championship game. Second quarter, feels like the sixth quarter of the SEC championship game. George wasn't doing anything on the ground. And third quarter starts and they're still not really doing much to write home about. And then all of a sudden it happens. You don't fill one gap. You got one high level running back that makes one elite jump cut in a hole. And James Cook takes off down the right sideline, left sideline, depending on where you're looking for about 67, 68 yards. That breaks the game open. Georgia doesn't pull away immediately. That's where things change totally. You want to know how much they changed? Georgia ended the game last night with 4.7 yards per carry. That's over a yard per carry better than they did in the SEC championship game. It's not a padlock stat per se. If you would have told me that number, I would think they got a much better chance to beat Alabama. But here's how big that James Cook run was. If I did nothing else but take the James Cook run away, here's how violently it swings the game. Georgia, with the big James Cook run, 4.7 yards per carry, if you take that run away, the rest of the game, they ran the ball for 2.5 yards per carry. That would be about a yard below their previous season low, and that previous season low had been against Alabama in the SEC championship game. But when you got the kind of defense Georgia has, you don't have to keep ripping off long run after long run, just like through the air. Stetson Bennett didn't have to light you up. Stetson Bennett didn't have to have some Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Bryce Young type of performance. He needed to drop it in there a couple of times. They needed to rip off a couple of runs because that is called complimentary football. And contrary to a growingly popular rumor out there, it can still win at the highest level. I think Georgia pretty much definitively proved that last night. But I'll tell you something else that's not a, it's not a stat. It's not a padlock stat. I thought it was a padlock moment necessarily. Well, maybe not necessarily at the time. I thought it was very important though. Uh, you remember in the first half, it looked like Georgia had forced a turnover and scored early in the game. And it got overturned and Alabama ends up marching down the field, I think 14 play drive to open the game and they kick a field goal. That right there is a 10 point swing in a game. But that's not what I wanna focus on. The following drive, Georgia gets the ball. Stetson Bennett scrambles, he's not touched, but he fumbles the ball anyway around the 30 yard line. He falls on it. Total bob play, total bounce of ball play. The ball, it was fortuitous that it stayed under him and he fell on it, kind of like Bryce Young in the SEC championship game. Stetson's able to fall on it. They live to, I don't even remember if they punted it. What they didn't do is they didn't turn it over and give Alabama the ball in plus territory again. If they had done that, we don't know if Alabama starts that game 10-0. Georgia goes into a shell. Georgia changes their offensive approach to the game. And then all of a sudden we're looking at a game that gets out of whack. We've seen those kinds of games happen at points this year. You never know what would have happened. Kind of like we're talking about with the game in and of itself. We don't have to find out what happened for Georgia down the path of losing because they won. We don't have to find out what's down the path of, well, what if they were down 10-0 early in the game? Because they didn't allow it to happen. But going back to the vantage point that I was able to have on this game, there was a feeling, if you're a Georgia fan, you know all too well what I'm talking about, that even when they grabbed that lead and 
man, what an answer it was when they did answer. Even when they grabbed the lead late in this game, Bama's only down eight. Knowing you have to quite literally cut the head off the snake, no one's comfortable. No one's comfortable. No one's braggadocious. No one's anything other than white knuckle, bite the fingernails to the nubs level nervous watching Bryce Young try and drive that offense down the field one more time. But when Keely Ringo pulled in that pick six and takes it all the way to the house, and all of a sudden, like I said, what was merely possibility for so long turns into certainty on one play, and it's such a quick turn of emotion, I just turned around. Kind of like I did in Knoxville earlier this year, but I turned around not to be pelted in the head with a bottle. This time, I turned around to just watch the faces because I had a huge contingent of Georgia fans behind me. And to watch everybody from college age students to 75 year old couples there, you've got the entire spectrum of emotion pouring out. You got some folks who are so inebriated they won't even remember the moment, which I would argue devalues the ticket and devalues the experience. That's just me though. You got other folks who are sober as a judge and will remember everything. Uh, the reactions kind of correlated with your level of inebriation. That was at least my vantage point. But to see some of the folks who you know have lived it. And a lot of times if you're at those championship games, you're a season ticket holder. Oftentimes you go on the road and you go to the road games. These folks have seen it all. If you just took the experiences that Georgia fans have had watching their team play Alabama and nothing else, and you watch all that emotion pour out and you realize this thing that we thought was out of reach for so long, this belt that we climbed the ladder so many times and tried to grab, it's just out of our fingertips. We just grabbed it, we've got it, we're looking around, no one's gonna take it from it, this is it, this is actually it, you almost have to double take, but when you realize a national championship is yours, it's a really, really crazy thing. And it's crazy to watch a group simultaneously realize that the Georgia sideline, was the same way. I got to give Kirby Smart a ton of credit. I think I would have been outside my mind if I were him. First thing he did was pick Bryce Young up off the ground. I was watching some of the replay. It was right there and Bryce Young gets picked up off the ground. Look at me, if I'm Kirby Smart, I probably would have Hulk Hogan style just ripped my shirt down the middle. That's how excited I would have been. I saw how high he got up off the ground. Don't think I didn't, I saw that. But uh, it was really, really fun to watch that sideline. So critically important lessons here for the rest of college football. And I want so many programs to focus on this. One of the fundamental problems I have with the sport right now that I don't want to choose to focus on a lot tonight, but one of the fundamental, well, yeah, one of the fundamental problems I have with college football is that when things don't go your way as a program, administrators and high-level decision makers tend to want to knee-jerk and they want to blame the system. We don't win more than seven games, it's the system. Our coach doesn't pan out, it's the system. The system is rigged against us. The system is holding us down. Well, University of Georgia has gone uh, longer than my entire lifetime without winning a national championship. So I'm pretty sure the system was not exactly built in their favor. If you don't believe me, ask them. What did Georgia do? How did they turn their fortune? Did they rub a magic eight ball? No, what they did is they hired the right guy, they made a critical decision to hire the right guy, and then they also made the decision to invest. Georgia paid the cost. You want to be the boss, you want to pay the cost. They did it. And so you can either make fun of that, and you can laugh at these people for being all out of whack with their priorities, or you can say good for them. What you can't do is you can't go around constantly wanting to be all in and claim to be all in, but then look at what it takes to be all in and say, oh, I don't know if we can do that and that. Now this I'm okay with. You gotta do it all. You gotta check every box. For a long time, Georgia had some of the boxes checked and thought they had all of them checked. Kirby Smart walked in the door and came from the place where they had all the boxes checked. And he said, you think you're all in. You're not quite all in. You want me to do what they're doing over there? That's fine, I'll accept the challenge. There's no place I'd rather accept the challenge than my alma mater, in my home state. I grew up in Bainbridge. I'm the head coach at the University of Georgia right now. But if you want that to mean as much as it can mean, you gotta give me what they have at Alabama. Georgia had not done that with Mark Richt. They did it with Kirby Smart. He didn't win a title overnight, but they stayed patient with him and they returned and returned and returned the investment. Now he returned on the investment. Here's why last night was so important. Again, 
If you lose, you never know how many more times you're going to get there. But you win, and now all of a sudden it's like the Roger Bannister sub four-minute mile. Until Roger Bannister ran a sub four-minute mile, most people didn't believe it could happen. I didn't stop him. He just kept running. He kept training. Well, finally, Roger Bannister breaks that four-minute barrier. Well, after that, hundreds of people broke it because all of a sudden they saw it could be done. What happens at the University of Georgia right now? What kind of transformation do you see with the football program? How many more kids are attracted to Georgia than already are because all of a sudden they've seen championships can happen there? It's not just a place you go where you win a bunch of games and there's a great town you live in. Championships can be won there. There's no longer a lock on the market of promising access to championships at Alabama. Now you get to promise it if you're at Georgia. That is one of the many benefits, obviously, of winning a championship. But one more thing that I want people to take notice of, Georgia wins a championship, but they don't do it with Trevor Lawrence. They don't do it with Joe Burrow. They don't do it with Bryce Young. They did it with Stetson Bennett. A lot of people, got a little volume over here on the computer, a lot of people were wrong about Stetson Bennett. I've said before on this show last year, I didn't think Georgia was going to be able to win a title with Stetson Bennett. I kind of softened on it a little bit this year. I didn't pick them to win the game. So obviously, I still didn't think they were going to win. They did win. Again, they won in a complimentary fashion. So I want you to picture being at the University of Iowa or being at Michigan State or Virginia Tech. You're not, you're not at the pinnacle of the sport right now, but you've got some rich tradition of your own. Uh, you've got an established identity of your own. You watched this game last night. If Alabama wins it with Bryce Young, your tendency is probably to say, God, hats off to them. Like, when are we ever going to get a Bryce Young here? Alabama didn't win last night. The team that played rock-solid defense and played good enough at quarterback but played a very complimentary style won the game. If I'm at Iowa or Virginia Tech or Miami or Michigan State or wherever and I'm watching that last night, I'm saying, ah, we may not be able to count on a Bryce Young. I think we could get a Stetson Bennett. I think we could play high-level defense. What it showed is that, again, contrary to that rumor going around, there is still more than just one way to skin the cat and win a national championship in this sport. You were told the days of having that kind of quarterback. I'm not going to say game manager because it's meant in a pejorative manner and it's not a negative. But you were told those days were gone. You were told the days of riding a high-level defensive effort to a national championship were gone. They're not gone. They're no more gone, as it turns out, than hiring a defensive-minded head coach. There were just a few years where we had the pendulum go all the way to one side of the sport. Well, Georgia just grabbed that thing and pulled it all the way back to the other side of the sport last night. In reality, it's always somewhere in between. The Georgia Bulldogs did a lot more last night for programs around college football than just for the program in the mirror. There are a lot of folks probably reinvigorated and energized and motivated and maybe even inspired by what Kirby Smart showed you can still do. Now, you can either do one of two things. You can look at it and say, well, yeah, but that's Georgia. Look at what all they have to work with. Or you can say, well, uh, they didn't always have it. They had to press the button down there. They had to truly become all in. What stops us from pressing that button? Michigan State just paid Mel Tucker more than you ever thought they would pay Mel Tucker. What if Michigan State pressed the button? Miami just stepped up in such a big way to hire Mario Cristobal. What if Miami pressed the button? This stuff is not just on the table for three or four programs in America. Again, contrary to what people tell you, this sport is not constructed to only benefit three or four teams. The reality is there are about one or two dozen programs out there that realistically could achieve what Georgia achieved last night, could operate at that level. They've made very poor decisions in the past, but instead of looking in the mirror and saying, it's on us, we got to do better, like they did at Georgia, they look out the window and they tell you, excuse me, fan base, look, the system out there, the man out there, out the window. That's who's holding us down. That's not who's holding you down. You're holding you down. Georgia was holding Georgia down. Not anymore. Who's going to be next? I think Georgia inspired a lot of people last night. Congratulations. Obviously, plenty more to talk about with the University of Georgia. But some of the best video I saw last night was not at the game. It was not in the post game. It was not in the tunnels. What happened was I left the stadium and I went over to the hotel to grab my stuff and I saw my eye, Josh had been lit up with all kinds of videos. The videos were from so many of you in a parking lot of a random Academy Sports and Outdoors at one o'clock in the morning, 1.30 in the morning, 
because the national championship gear was on sale. This was the most beautiful sight. Uh, there were lines around some of the blocks of where these Academy Sports and Outdoors locations were. All over the state, and in some cases, uh, states nearby Georgia, they opened the stores up as soon as the team wins the national championship, and they did it last night. If you wanted a Georgia national championship t-shirt, they had the hookup. If you wanted the commemorative football, they had the hookup. In fact, any kind of paraphernalia that you could possibly want that coincides with Georgia winning a national championship, they had it at Academy Sports and Outdoors. So I know normally when I do the ad read for Academy, I'm trying to sell you coast to coast on either going to Academy Sports and Outdoors in person or just visiting academy.com. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nail this one and I'm gonna aim it right at the Peach State. If you're buying Georgia Bulldog National Championship merchandise and you're not doing it through Academy Sports and Outdoors, who do you think you are? What gives you the right? I just wanted to work those quotes in the show. If you know the office, you know why. If you don't, pretend I'm being a jerk. But look, they've got everything you need there. Uh, and they are the official, in fact, our only official partner on this show. And they've got the best merch. And they don't make you wait to the next morning. They open the store up. You know how hard it is to get folks to go into work at 1 o'clock in the morning? That's not easy. So tell them you appreciate it. And tell them you appreciate what they do for the show as well. Academy Sports and Outdoors, they've been with us all season long. They make so much of this possible. It's Academy and you guys that make pretty much everything you see possible here. That's why we have immense respect and appreciation for both parties there. But if you have not fulfilled your purchasing requirements for all the Georgia National Championship merch, it's there. Academy.com or in person at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, I had many different thoughts on how I wanted to go about this. There's been some news even as recently as a couple of hours ago. So... What do we think about Alabama last night? Alabama loses the national championship game 33-18. to 18. I noticed some people that yeah, predictably had a negative reaction. If you're an Alabama fan, I almost exclude you from this. You're emotionally invested. It's your team. That's fine. I tried to look at it through unbiased lenses. And what I saw, even in a loss last night, was a season where I don't think you can credit Nick Saban and Bryce Young enough. I think Bryce Young had one of the best seasons with everything factored in that I've ever seen a quarterback have in college football. I think Nick Saban did about as good a coaching job this year with all things factored in as anyone we've seen. I was talking to a number of people, both inside and very, very close to the program last night, some of them before the game, many of them after the game. Here was the general message. I cannot believe that we were able to get this team this far. It's such a credit. They all were effusive in their praise of Nick Saban. And it's almost like the cumulative message is, dude, if you could only know. And there are a lot of details, I'm sure, as the season wraps up that will leak their way out. This was, this was far from a perfect road. This was far from Nick Saban's best team. Uh, but they got to the national championship anyway. This is not meant to be any kind of excuse making. I'm trying to praise them. I think, here's what I think. I think if they would have lost the SEC championship game to Georgia and then finished the season murdering someone in the Capital One Bowl or the Verbo Citrus Bowl, you'd have a little bit better taste in your mouth. Like the 2019 team, they lost to LSU. They don't go to the SEC title game, but they just pound Michigan in the Verbo Citrus Bowl. You end on a positive note, and so you think, oh, we underachieved, but don't worry, this team will be primed for big things next year. 
Well, this team happened to slip their way all the way into a title game. They are primed for big things next year. There is a lot of what if. I mean, I'm standing there. Jamison Williams goes down right on my side of the field. I'm watching it. I'm crushed. I'm deflated just like anyone else is. You're already playing without Mechie. You could certainly all day ask, what would have happened? You know, what would have happened? Had Alabama just had all the players they've lost in the last month, what would have happened? Look, my guess is they probably stand a good chance to win the national championship. That would be my guess. It's pointless to speculate on because we'll never find out. It's also pointless to speculate on because, you know, injuries are a part of football. I was doing the postgame with Cannell last night, and one of the first thoughts I had that I've seen a lot of other people echo today is I remember in Pasadena once upon a time, before Saban had won a title at Alabama, they go out there, Colt McCoy goes out early, you beat Texas. I mean, what, did you put an asterisk by it because Texas lost their starting quarterback? No, nor should you. You should have celebrated it. Georgia should celebrate last night. Injuries were a part of this thing. But it doesn't make it any less deflating when you see those big injuries happen. Adam Schefter, by the way, with ESPN, confirmed in the last hour and a half it is an ACL tear for Jamison Williams. Now, that conflicts with some of the information that was going around last night, which led you to believe maybe it's just a bad sprain. I can tell you he wanted back in that game badly. I was down the tunnel. I was, I was where he was. It took an effort to contain him, torn ACL and all. As it turns out, he wanted back out on that field really bad. I, he is a supreme competitor. He is an alpha competitor. You find you a few Jamison Williams, and you can do anything in this sport. So it's really fun to watch him and prayers for him on a speedy recovery. But they had tough breaks all year. They had tough breaks the second half of the year especially. I just want you to think about this. When I tell you... I can't be effusive enough in my praise for what they were able to do this year. You think about what they lost going into this season and what they lost during this season. And I want you to listen to this list of names. You tell me what you could do with what's left. They lost Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith from last year's team. Then they lost John Mechie and Jamison Williams from this year's team. They lost Najee Harris from last year's team. Then this year, they lost Roy Dell Williams and Jace McClellan from this year's team. They lost multiple offensive linemen to the NFL draft, including Leatherwood and Landon Dickerson. They lost Christian Barmore on the interior of the defensive line. They lost a first-round pick at quarterback in Mac Jones. And they also lost their elite offensive coordinator in Steve Sarkeesian. And they had a first-year starter at quarterback this year. They had a brand-new offensive line coach. Everything's new. Everything's totally green. It's like you pull the banana off the vine and it's still green everywhere and you have to bite into it anyway. They actually made the banana taste good enough to get them all the way to a national championship game. I think it was a phenomenal job coaching. I think this was like watching Denzel Washington in flight. You can either criticize him because he had to crash the plane and there were some fatalities or you could say, how in the world was this not the biggest aviation disaster in the history of American aviation? He had to turn the plane upside down. Nick Saban had the plane upside down, landing it in a field the whole year this year. Uh, they were still able somehow to get to the national championship game. After the game, very, very poignant moment. You got Saban in the middle. You got flanking him to either side, Will Anderson and Bryce Young. We're going to play the sound in just a second, but I also want you to take note of those players. These are not seniors. These are not juniors. These are two true sophomores. These are second-year guys. Both of them should have been in New York City. One of them won the Heisman. The other got jilted out of a trip in Will Anderson, who was the best player in college football this year for my money. But that aside, listen to what Nick Saban said last night after they told him it's a wrap. The press conference is over, and so normally the losing coach doesn't want to say one word more than what you're forcing him to say. This was Nick Saban, um, you know, so, sort, of, sort of unprovoked last night. He just wanted to volunteer this at the end. Play it, guys. Bryce and Will, thanks for your time. We'll let you head back to your locker room. Right. I'd like to say something. Can I say something? Absolutely. You know, these two guys that are sitting up here, they're not defined by one game. These guys played great for us all year. They're great competitors. They were great leaders on this team. Uh, and they, they contributed tremendously to the success of this team. And we would not be here without them. All right, and both of them take responsibility for the loss, um, but both of them contributed in a lot of ways in a positive way 
to giving us a chance to win and a chance to be here to have an opportunity to win. So I just want to thank them for that and let everybody know how proud I am of these two guys. Thank you, Coach. Thank you very much. First off, that's one of the most effective recruiting tools he'll ever have. Secondly, he knows that's the nucleus of his team next year. Both of those guys come back. I know there are, there are a lot of, in my opinion, pretty lame takes out there right now today about whether they should play next year or not. Coming from people who cover college football, which you'll never make sense of, for me at least, but um, I love watching great college football players play the sport. Maybe that means something's wrong with me. I have a pretty good reason to believe both of those guys will play for Alabama next year and play at a high level. I also think they'll make a whole lot of money next year. I think they'll both be millionaires next year while they play for Alabama and play at a very high level. There were several instances this year, early in the season, where you watch this Alabama team and you realized they don't have a bunch of Jonathan Allens on this team. They don't have a bunch of Landon Dickersons on this team. That's not the biggest shock in the world. They had a lot of leadership, both in terms of production and just vocal leadership, locker room guys exit the program to the NFL. It's hard to replace that stuff. And it started to become apparent about mid-year, the guys who were emerging were not, you know, in some cases, seniors and juniors themselves. It was Bryce Young, sophomore. It was Will Anderson, sophomore. I think Nick Saban saw that and he appreciates it and wishes that, you know, a lot of that could have been adopted as a mentality from maybe some of his older players. But look, every team has a different dynamic. You can't force that into someone. You don't train that into someone. They either got it or they don't. Now, ultimately, you got to produce or no one cares what kind of leader you are. You don't have very many leaders on the bench, if you've ever noticed. A lot of guys, especially at this level, they're leading by example. They're leading by production. However, there was some turnover today at Alabama and will continue to be. I don't think this is done. Transfer portal's been busy in Tuscaloosa today. So far, there have been several. I think we got a list of, of who's entered the transfer portal just today. Some of these names were surprising to you uh, maybe some of the names weren't but last night you saw Jaleel Billingsley start the game for Alabama uh, Jaleel Billingsley put forth less than an inspired effort last night shall we say and leave it at that Jaleel Billingsley has entered the transfer portal today for Alabama Paul Tyson backup quarterback has entered the transfer portal today for Alabama Drew Sanders who was playing uh, a lot this year before he got hurt and then got his job taken by Dallas Turner has entered the transfer portal. So several guys have entered the transfer portal today. I look at the list and I think the list will grow. So it's still very much in a state of flux. I don't think that it's a reason to sound any alarm there. Look, I, I saw a lot of way too early top 25 lists released today. And most of them had Alabama at number one. I'm just telling you, anybody I talked to in the SEC this year, even back in August, the talk about Alabama, as I've told you all year long, was you better get them this year. Everybody's known their 2022 and 23 teams are going to be insane. So you better get them this year. Well, Georgia got them this year. And A&M got them this year. And both programs are going to reap the benefits on the recruiting trail from it. But it's just very interesting, I think, to watch what will be a forgotten year for Nick Saban, because all you remember now are his championships. And it's really interesting that you listen to a lot of people, including Kirby Smart. Don't let this get lost in the celebration from last night. Kirby Smart, it was either last night or this morning, called it Saban's best coaching job too. Let me tell you what that means. What that means is when Georgia has scouted Alabama, they've seen deficiencies everywhere. I was talking to someone over dinner earlier this week and they were sort of echoing the sentiments that an SEC staff had given them. And they said, George is going to smoke Alabama in the SEC title game. That's what a lot of coaches thought who had played Alabama. Like coaches, football-minded lifers watched what Nick Saban did this year and said, how in the world are they doing that? And so then, of course, you get to the SEC championship game. They beat Georgia. They lose in the rematch. But Kirby Smart even went out of his way to say, this is his best coaching job because Georgia watched that on film and Georgia said, I cannot believe he's getting what he's getting out of this team. So I think it's a testament. I, I know we don't talk a whole lot about the losing team nearly as much as the winning team, but it's a testament, I think, to Nick Saban and what they were able to do this year and very excited to watch them moving forward. I wanted to close tonight's show by talking a little bit about this year. 
I put a poll on Twitter earlier today, and I asked you, is this the best college football season you can remember? Some of you took that to mean, is this the best college football season with your specific team that you can remember? That's not what I meant. I meant the season in totality. Is it the best you can remember? My vote is yes. That's the reason I put it up there. A lot of you voted no. Some of you did the whole no, and it's not close. Of course, those people failed to mention what the alternative is. If you want to say 07 is better, that's fine. If you want to say 2012 is better, that's fine. Guys, I can assure you it's close. You cannot take everything we saw this year and then point me out another season that blows it away. Maybe inches here or there. Nothing blows this season away. In fact, you were just looking, if you were watching on YouTube, at a game I had forgotten all about. We were stacking the show today, and I was trying to think of some of the games I wanted to touch on. FSU and Notre Dame was the Sunday night game in week one, or maybe even the Monday night game in week one. Do you remember how insane that was? Florida State ended up being totally off your radar by the end of the season. Uh, Notre Dame didn't make the playoff either. So you can either be a college football fan or a casual. A casual would tell you, oh, that game was meaningless because it didn't have playoff implications. Or you can be a college football fan and realize what we crystallize in this sport is the regular season. College football is about moments on Saturdays and Sundays and home stadiums. That's what the entire fabric of this sport is built on. It's why people like us, we have this very specific kind of love for it, and we look at it through a different lens than we do the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball. Make no mistake, we watch those sports, we watch those leagues, we just don't watch it through the same lens. Because this sport that we love called college football is uniquely constructed. It's why we don't look and say, college football's postseason should look exactly like the NFL. College football's regular season and the way we handle game day should look exactly like the NFL. No, it shouldn't. The NFL can do the NFL. College football can do college football. And you can love the Saturday and Sunday product for different reasons in some cases. It is allowed. But we're coming off what we called a renaissance season from the very beginning. And actually, now that we've gone all 16 weeks, we've been on the road 16 weeks if you look at the list of the places that we've been going all the way back to week one, where it was Georgia versus Clemson and Charlotte and wrapping up last night in Indianapolis, again with Georgia against Alabama, I'll be able to talk about this year for a long time. You're watching if you're on YouTube and you're seeing the screen over to, I guess it's my left, your right, or my right, your left. Look at that list of games. Look at where we were able to go and take the Renaissance Tour this year. Started in Charlotte in week one, Iowa at Iowa State, my first trip to Ames in week two. First ever whiteout experience. Auburn at Penn State in week three. This is why the regular season is so great. This is why we preach the gospel of the regular season on this show. By the end of the year, were you talking about Auburn? Not a whole lot. Were you talking about Penn State? Not a whole lot. There are just flat out two different ways you can view this sport. You can either freeze that moment in time. Week three, Auburn at Penn State, one possession game, awesome battle, Saturday night, Happy Valley, 110 some odd thousand people up there, wide out. You can either remember it that way, or you can be a sadist who looks at it and says, oh well, no playoff implications, meaningless game. Like which camp does it sound like you'd rather be a part of? We move on. Week four gets here, and that's when we go to Arlington, and that's when it's Arkansas upsetting Texas A&M. And all of a sudden, Arkansas has taken down the Longhorns and the Aggies in the first month of the season. You can either be one of two ways. You can either say, those are two historic wins, and Arkansas got both of them over those teams when those teams still had a ton of life. Or you can say, oh, no playoff implications. Texas ended up not being a bowl team. Which camp does it sound like you should be a part of? Had Ole Miss at Alabama. That one was one of the more convincing Alabama wins of the year. But look at where we were the next week. For my money, this was the most incredible regular season game I was able to see. OU versus Texas. Don't think about where the teams finished. Think in terms of regular season moments on Saturdays. That was Red River. That was Texas up 28 to 10. That was Oklahoma storming back. That was Caleb Williams coming in for Spencer Rattler. That was an all-time performance. It was as good as college football gets. It popped an insane number. It was the 11 a.m. kickoff, so you get out of Dallas the same day. Uh, that day was as, as, what just fell? It's gotta happen at least once a show now. That day in Dallas 
was as perfect a poster of college football as you could ever see. Then again, I could say that about week three with Auburn at Penn State too. How about the following week? Not exactly the promotional poster for college football that you want to put together. Ole Miss at Tennessee, just bobbing and weaving, ducking to the left and right. There comes a bottle here. There comes a bottle there. There goes a golf ball. Good. It hit Lane Kiffin, not me. It was unique. It was a very unique experience. Then Tennessee almost ends up winning the game anyway. Tennessee goes to Bama the next week. Not exactly a memorable game there. But the back half of the season got so fun because the weather cooled off, but the rivalry games were approaching. And all of a sudden, we get to venture up into Big Ten country a little bit more. We saw Mel Tucker and Michigan State take down Michigan. We saw Michigan rebound later in the year to take down Ohio State. We saw so many big time moments and see the beauty to me in not being an expansionist is that I understood, as did we all, there was no giant 12 team playoff safety net under these games. And so that's to me what makes them awesome. How about multiple field stormings though? We got one in East Lansing when Michigan State beat Michigan. We got one two weeks later in Waco when Oklahoma fell to Baylor. And then you go to Michigan a couple of weeks after that, and we get another one in the driving snow when Ohio State falls to Michigan. It was such an incredible way to cap the season. And then, of course, we go into conference championship Saturday. Then you got a trip to Miami for the semifinal game. We went to Indianapolis for the national championship game. College football is all about a few things for us on this show. It's about tradition. It's about atmosphere. It's about Saturdays and it's about moments. It's okay to view pro sports through a different lens than college football. If I could change one thing right now about the way that too many people are viewing the sport, it's I wish I could just adjust your lens for you and remind you what you once knew if you're of any age. And that is before the whole playoff era, everything about the regular season was maximum in its importance. Everything about the regular season was crystallized. You never had to remind anyone College football is about tradition, atmosphere, and Saturday moments. We woke up every day of the week knowing it. But now all of a sudden, you got OU Texas in a classic. You got Auburn Penn State early in the year in a classic, and they're forgotten because you may not get the right semifinal matchup you want, or you may not get a close score in a title game. It's like, when did we get to this tail wagging the dog situation in college football where the importance or the value of a season is not defined until the last two or three games in a man-made postseason format. How about forget it entirely? Like, do what we do on this show. You look at the B-roll we're rolling right now. I can assure you, none of this comes from a playoff situation. This is regular season. This is on a Saturday. These are moments. Baylor didn't make the playoff. Does it look like those people are any less excited? Does it look like that memory is going to fade anymore? because Baylor ended up not making the playoff. That was an insane afternoon in Waco. It was an insane afternoon to watch Michigan take down Ohio State. It was an insane afternoon to watch Michigan State take down Michigan. And some of us love the sport because of that. And then whatever the playoff gives us, it's what the playoff gives us. But I really hate that I woke up yesterday morning and I'm in the JW Marriott in downtown Indianapolis and we got an entire gaggle of reporters doing their job, I'll grant you that, but the day ends up turning into a whole bunch of hodgepodge of, are we gonna expand the playoff? Well, the commissioners have emerged from this mysterious room they were gathered in under lock and key. Are we gonna get one? No, we're not gonna get one. All right, well, let's start typing out stories about how this is a letdown for college football. Then we got a national championship in four or five hours. We got all of February and March and April and May and June and July to talk about this. That's what I didn't like. In an otherwise very, very fun afternoon, that's what I didn't like. But overall, I just wish this time of year was viewed in the proper context. It's not the end-all, be-all. Sure, we're going to crown a champion. College football's regular season value and the value of this renaissance season we just had wasn't impacted one iota in my mind by what we saw in the playoff. I could have seen Bama win 50 to nothing or Georgia win 50 to nothing last night. It's not removing the value of what I saw from what I think is the greatest regular college football season we've seen in a generation. And I want to tell you one more thing too. This is just from us to you. It's hard for me to put into words what a privilege it is to be able to do what we do. I know I thank you a lot, but there's a reason I thank you a lot. It's because we weren't always here. I wasn't always here. I was right there with you. The only difference in me and you 
is we convinced a company to put a mic in front of me and somehow put my face on TV. Otherwise, I'm you. I worked in a fabric warehouse for a long time. I paid every last dime that was in my pocket, and in some cases, dimes I didn't have, to buy tickets to these games. I watched the shows. I listened to the radio every day. I know what it's like to do something other than this for a living and to use this as an escape. That's why we format this show the way we do. That's why we let you drive it the way we do. I know some of you don't have the most fun job in the world. I didn't. Again, non-air conditioned warehouse, stacking rolls of fabric all day, pulling them off the freight truck when it comes in in the morning, looking forward to listening to a few sports talk radio shows to get me through the day. I know that's the situation some of you are in. The reason I thank you so much is because you let us be the conduit. You actually allow us, you allow me, of all people and our staff and our crew here, of all the groups of people in the world and all the products out there, you let us be your escape. We don't take it for granted. We will never take it for granted. And I relate with you. And that's why I hope it comes through on the show. And it's why I never get tired of going to city after city. We've been on the road 16 weeks in a row. Every single city we went to, as the weeks went on, we heard from more and more of you. And to a 95% clip, what you said to me is, I appreciate that the show's different, and I appreciate that I can relate to the show. That means that we're doing the job we're trying to do. All we're trying to do is put you on this screen and take the emotions and the way you feel about this sport and hopefully be able to verbalize it and be able to present it in a video form or a podcast form to where it's the best part of your day. Maybe you got a job you love, maybe you got a job you hate, we want this to be at least a 30 or 45 minute escape for you every day. But I want to just personally thank you because this right here is getting to do a literal dream job for a living every single day. That's why we'll never complain. It's a privilege to go on the road 16 weeks in a row. Are you kidding? I'd rather be traveling 16 weeks in a row than just going to the same place that I don't want to be at every day. I've done both of them. I can assure you I prefer this. So thank you so much. You have made this show such a success they can't say no to us. I mean, I talked to one of our executives last week and he said, look, even if I didn't like the show, which I do, but even if I didn't like it, we can't tell you no. We can't tell the audience no. It keeps getting bigger and bigger every week. That's you. That's not us. We could sit here and talk to crickets all day and not get anything. You have made that possible. And so I just wanted to wrap the regular season and this postseason with thanking you. I met a lot of you in Indianapolis over the past week, met a lot of you throughout the year. I also want to tell you this. There are a whole lot of people in our industry at all kind of different networks that come up to me. And in some cases, they've got much bigger platforms than we do, but they look at the freedom that, that to their credit, CBS gives us and 24-7 gives us, and they say, man, I'm envious of that. And I would feel the same way, <laughs> full disclosure. I would feel the same way because we have all the freedom to do this show exactly how we want to do it, and we've got the trust instilled in us to do the show exactly how we want it and the way we want it is the way you want it. And we plan on keeping it that way no matter how big the show gets. So I wanted to wrap it up with that. Thank you so much for letting us do what we love for a living. And I hope it gets you through whatever you may be going through in any given day. So that's our show for today. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, for our entire crew here, I'm Josh Bate. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your week. We will be back here Thursday night. Until then, have a great evening. God bless.